Good morning. Once again, we want to acknowledge to our Father and our God in heaven that we are grateful for all of his love, mercy, and blessings. Uh, God, in his grace and mercy, is ever working uh, on our behalf and in our best interest. Uh, one of the manifestations of this fact is that God invites us to call on him through prayer. Uh, we need to remember that prayer is for our benefit and not for God's information. Uh, God has the power to help us and his ability to help us resides not only in the fact that he has uh, the power to help us, but also the wisdom to understand us. God's solution to our troubles and our trials is often different uh, from ours because he understands us better than we understand ourselves. Thus, we ought to be thankful for his power and for his wisdom, but we should also be grateful uh, for his loving kindness that moves him to hear us in the first place. Uh, the psalmist has declared in Psalm 34, verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. That God condescends to hear us, that God is willing to bless us and to work in our best interest and for all of his other blessings are things for which we should be eternally grateful. Now, you may or may not have noticed, I, no big deal if you don't pay me any mind because you came uh, for Jesus, uh, but you may have noticed uh, that I am here this morning without my better half. Uh, now, she's fine, uh, she is at home, now, you may or may not know that uh, we were blessed to spend almost two weeks out in San Francisco uh, with our newest grandson, uh, with our youngest daughter, Diana, with our son-in-law, Jonathan, and also with Ricky, uh, too. Uh, we got to see all of them while we were out in uh, California. Uh, our oldest daughter, uh, is now out in San Francisco with our youngest daughter uh, because she wanted to see her nephew. And so while she is in San Francisco, uh, Sister Cook and I have been entrusted uh, with the well-being of our other two grandchildren. And so Sister Cook is home tending to uh, the other two grandkids, but uh, by the grace of God, they are all fine. Uh, they are listening to this via Zoom, via Zoom, so I'm going to say, hey, mommy, hey, KJ, hey, Kayla, uh, so that they will feel uh, included as well. Uh, we want you to turn with us to uh, John chapter 11, the text that was read into our hearing. Now, uh, we want to read again there verse number 25. John 11, verse 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Based on the words of Jesus there in John 11, verse 25, we want to use this morning as a subject 
Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Uh, you will recall that for the months of May and June, we will be operating from the sub-theme, uh, the I Ams of Jesus. And as we consider the text that we have before us here in John chapter 11, uh, this great declaration of Jesus is made to Martha concerning uh, the death of her brother, Lazarus. And if you are familiar with the account there in John chapter 11, then you are aware of the fact that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were more than just friends of Jesus. There in John 11, in verse number five, the Bible says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And the intent of verse five is that we understand that Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were not just friends of Jesus, but they were dear friends uh, of the master. And undoubtedly, because of the special relationship that they shared with the master, the expectation of these sisters is that Jesus would if he didn't come immediately and heal Lazarus, that, that he would do something other than show up after Lazarus had been dead for days. When we look at the exchange between Jesus and Martha, I, I submit to you that the exchange here indicates that there was a lack of understanding on Martha's part concerning the person power and possibilities of Jesus. And, and, and I say that not to disparage because none of us has a perfect understanding of God and none of us are always aware of what God's purpose in any given matter is. None of us are immune to doubts and I, I'm sure at some point we've all wondered what it is that God is doing in my life. But when we look at the exchange here, notice Martha says in, in verse 24, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Martha spoke in the future tense, but Jesus answers her in the present tense. Martha is talking about what will happen at some point in the future, but Jesus says, I am. Not, not I will be, but I am the resurrection uh, uh, and the life. The declaration of Jesus says to us that this was about more than just doctrines of the future. It was about the present realities that are available to us in Jesus himself. Uh, our hope is not restricted to the future. We have help available to us today. I, I, I'm glad Jesus said, uh, in chapter 14 that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now that's future, and, and, and I'm glad the future is bright, but, but I'm even more glad that our hope is not restricted to just the future. It, while Jesus is going to come again, and that is yet future, let us not miss the fact that Jesus speaks in the present tense. I can help you even today. Yeah, I have something in mind for the future, but 
don't just bank on what will happen then. Be aware of the fact that I can help you even now. But when we look at what they said, not only did they speak in different tenses, but they also spoke in different scopes. Now, Martha, understandably, spoke in the context of the immediate circumstance and her brother's death. And, and, and I get it. I, I don't know that you go through th uh, anything more traumatic uh, uh, than the death of a loved one. But Jesus spoke in the context of all humanity. And I say that to point out that we need to remember in our limited vision that God may be doing something larger than what I'm thinking about or what concerns me at the moment. It might be news to us, but sometimes what God is doing with me is about more than just me. My life is intertwined with the lives of other people, and maybe God is working on a bigger scale than just me. You ever wondered what is God trying to show me? Well, maybe God is trying to show something to more than just you. Maybe God says there are a number of people that I want to show something to. There are a number of people that I'm working with, and you need to be open to the fact that life is bigger than just you or I. And so Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I think it begs to question, what exactly did Jesus mean when he declared himself uh, uh, to be the resurrection and the life. Well, I submit to you that the nature uh, of Jesus's declaration demands that we understand him to be saying uh, uh, more than the fact that he is able to resurrect the dead and, and grant life. He declares that he is in fact the resurrection and the life. Yes, I can resurrect people and yes, I can give people life, but, but he, he says more than just I can do this. He says, I am this. Now you will recall uh, the words of Peter in Acts 2 verse 38. Peter said, repent and be baptized. Repentance and baptism are two different but complementary things. The same thing holds true when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. They are two different but complementary things. Now, if we were to look the words up in the dictionary, the dictionary defines resurrection as the state of one risen from the dead. Now, we know from our Bibles that even Jesus had been resurrected. In Acts 4 and verse number 33, the Bible says, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. I find it remarkable that one who had been resurrected should say that I am the resurrection. Well, in verse 25, that, that wasn't all that he said. He, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. I, I, I believe Jesus explains to us what he means when he says, I am the resurrection. Inasmuch as he is the resurrection, the one who believes in him, though he dies, will still live again. But he also says that I am the life. 
Well, well, usually when we hear the term life, we, we think about our physical existence, but, but I believe what Jesus is saying here transcends the idea of just our physical existence. In, in John 5, verse 24, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Well, there's another aspect of life there. But you remember in John 10 that Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and might have life more abundantly. When Jesus says, I am the life, we can understand that to be in different contexts and also in a better quality. Now in verse 26, Jesus said, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die, believest thou this. The declaration here is that those who have part in the resurrected life, this side of physical death, will never experience spiritual death. Jesus said a mouthful in these short words. He declared himself to have power over death, both physical and spiritual. Now appreciate that death is our enemy. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 26, the apostle declared that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now, not only is death our enemy, but appreciate uh, or, or to appreciate Jesus' statement, we have to understand what death really is. Now, death is not an end to our existence. Yeah, you, you ever notice sometimes people wonder what happens after death? Well, well, the Bible doesn't give us uh, all that much information about what happens after death because we have enough trouble dealing with the information it gives us about what we ought to do in life. And, and until I get together everything that I need to do in life, it, it just boggles the mind why some would be so consumed more with hap what happens after I die than what should be going on while I'm living. But appreciate death is not an end to our existence. Death is a separation. Now, the type of death is contingent on what is separated. In, in James 2, verse number 26, uh, there James said, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So now when we talk about physical death, we haven't ceased to exist. What has happened is that our spirit has been separated from this flesh and blood carcass. Now, I believe we're all aware of the fact that at some point that this body that we try to take care of at some point is going back to the dust from whence it came. But that doesn't mean that we'll cease to exist because this body that I'm walking around in is really just that. It's a body that I'm walking around in. When you see this body, you really don't see me. You see the container that I'm in. Well, sooner or later, this container is going back to the dust, but it doesn't mean that I'll cease to exist. But as we follow this train of thought, Death is our enemy. Death is a separation. Uh, appreciate that physical death came into the world by sin. In, in Romans 5 and verse number 12 in your Bibles, again, the apostle said, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, 
so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And, and, and I think we need to pay attention to what Paul said there. You know, sometimes we blame Adam and Eve for starting this whole thing. Well, Adam and Eve only did what you and I have done many times ourselves. They disobeyed what God said. And, and it's not so much that Adam and Eve disobeyed God that's the problem. The problem is that you and I have disobeyed God as well. Now, some of us would like to think that if Adam and Eve hadn't disobeyed God, then I wouldn't obey, uh, disobey God either. Yes, you would. You'd still be the same person that you are. What Adam and Eve did is what Adam and Eve did. And what you and I do is what you and I have done. And spiritual death is the penalty of sin. Uh, again, the apostle declares in, in, in Romans, in Romans 6 and verse number 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So when we look at all of this, what Jesus has told us in John 11 is that not only does he have the power to reconcile or to reunite what sin separates, he is the resurrection, uh, the reconciliation. He is the resurrection uh, and the life. So look in there again in John chapter 11. Uh, now, Jesus says to, to Martha, your brother will rise again. And in verse 24, Martha says, I, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. It, it's almost like uh, uh, they having a conversation and Martha is saying, I, I see what you're saying, Lord, but I, I want you to deal with what I'm going through right now. And Jesus answers her, I am trying to deal with what you're going through right now. You just don't understand how I'm dealing with it. Let us consider number one this morning, that Jesus delivers us from spiritual death. Now, we've already seen that sin, and let us be clear that when we say sin, my sin and your sin, we are individual, individually accountable that sin separates us from God, who is the source of spiritual life. In your Bibles, in another place, Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, uh, the prophet there declared, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. I, I believe most of us are aware of the fact that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So when we decide to walk in sin, that, that decision separates us from God. Now let us appreciate that you can be physically alive and dead in sin at the same time. And even as Jesus went to Bethany to resurrect Lazarus physically, so he came in the flesh to be our sacrifice that he might resurrect us spiritually. Now, I believe that begs the question, how does Jesus deliver us from spiritual death? Well, again, in your Bibles, when we ask a Bible question, we need a Bible answer. In, in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, Paul declares, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Now, don't sleep on verse four. Paul is not saying that God did this just because we needed it, and, and we do need it, 
But Paul is saying that God did it not only because we need it, but in spite of us being who we are in his great mercy. You know, it just takes something for God to keep dealing with us. All of us, all the time, all at the same time, being the people that we are and remaining unchanged, even though he deals with all of us. But in verse five, he says, even when we were dead in sins, have quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved. Now, I also want to be careful to say that that's a summation, not a detailed account. We are not saved simply because Jesus died uh, on the cross. Paul was not writing to those dead in sin about how salvation works. He wrote to those that had already been resurrected by obedience to the gospel. But if we want the answer in a nutshell, if God hadn't done what he did, then there was no hope for us being resurrected spiritually. Now, I, I, I hope we are all aware of the fact that we're not saved just because Jesus died. If that's the case, then nobody is lost. There's no reason for us to show up here every Sunday. In fact, there's no reason to do anything because Jesus already sealed the deal. What Paul was giving us is an overview of what set the provision of reconciliation in place. But look again there back in John chapter 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Not only does Jesus deliver us from spiritual death, but Jesus gives us victory over physical death. Now, physical death is the common denominator of humanity. I mean, whether you Democrat or Republican, whether you rich or poor, black or white, or whatever it is that defines you, death is the common denominator. In Ecclesiastes 9, verses 2 and 3, the wise man says, all things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean and to the unclean, to him that sacrificeth and to him that sacrificeth not. As is the good, so is the sinner, and he that sweareth as he that feareth an oath. This is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event unto all. Yea, also the heart of, of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live, and after that they go to the dead. Now, Solomon is saying, whether you go to church, as we say, and I appreciate that the church is the people and not the building, but, but whether or not you go to church or whether you stay home every Sunday, you're going to pass from this physical existence. Uh, whether you voted one way or whether you voted the other way, you're going to pass from this physical existence. Whether your bank account reads zero or whether it reads six figures, you're going to pass from this existence. And it is to this fact that the Hebrew writer agreed uh, Hebrews 9:27, he says, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Now, appreciate what the Hebrew writer was saying. You remember God told Adam and Eve in the day they ate off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they would surely die. 
when, when, when the Hebrew writer says it is appointed unto men once to die, what he's saying is, as sure as we come into this life, you're going to leave it. Now, somebody came up with the idea that this means you have a set time to go. Well, no, not necessarily. You don't have a set time to go. You, you can change the time of your leaving uh, uh, if you so choose. Now, just walk out in the traffic and not pay attention uh, to what's going on. Just jump off a high building and see if the laws of gravity don't still take effect. What, what the Hebrew writer is saying, as sure as we came here, you are going to live and pass from this life, but you're not through with God. You still have some business even after you pass from this flesh and blood existence. It is a fact, uh, or if it is a fact, that, that we must die physically. That threw me because it didn't pop the way I thought it would. Uh, if it is a fact that we must die physically, how then does Jesus give us victory over physical death? See, see in my mind, victory over physical death would mean you don't have to die. Well, well, you have to die, but you can still have victory over it. Remember, death is not a cessation of our existence, but a separation. So the body can be separated from the spirit, but the fact that those who are taught, uh, uh, that those who are in Christ live on after death is clearly taught in scripture. In Philippians 1, verses 21 through 20, 23, the apostle says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now he's talking about life and death. I don't think you can miss that in verse 21. Then in verse 22, he says, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose, I want not, I, I don't know. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Now, Paul say there's life and death. That's the two considerations. Paul said the thing that's kind of hanging me up is now, now if I stay here, I get to serve God and uh, uh, thank God that we get to be vessels in his service. Paul said, but if I die, if my body is separated from my spirit, I'm not going to cease to exist. I'm going to be with Jesus, which is better than being here in the flesh. So death, the, the physical death is not the end of our existence. It is a transformation to something better. Now, I wanna stress that physical death is a transformation to something better if one is in Christ. Now, if I'm not in Christ Jesus, physical death is a transformation to something far worse than what we have right now. You know, people wonder what the world is coming to. Well, you want to see something worse than what the, the state the world is in right now? Die outside of Jesus, die in your sins, and, and after the judgment, you'll see something that's a whole lot worse than what our world, uh, the condition our world is in right now. Jesus says, whoever lives and believes in me will never die believest thou this. Not only does Jesus give us victory over physical death, but he also gives us victory over eternal death. Did you know you could die two times? You ever read Revelation and you get there to the end and, and, and John talks about the second death? Well, look, we don't want to die the first time, much less die tw twice. Now, you can't avoid the first one, but it's the second one you sure don't want to have part in. 
And I know some people don't like to talk about the judgment, but I remember Paul in Acts 20 and verse number 27 saying that he had declared all the counsel of God. Paul said, when I talk about Jesus, I'm gonna tell you the full story. I'm gonna tell you about the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus, and I'm gonna tell you about the penalty if you die outside of Christ Jesus. I'm gonna preach heaven just as much as I'm going to preach hell. Paul said, I told all the counsel of God. I, I tell people all the story. Isn't it something sometimes people just wanna hear about grace and mercy and, and love? Well, well, we ought to wanna hear the full story. And not only is he the God of justice, but he's also the God of judgment. Uh, uh, he's the God of grace, but he's also the God of vengeance. Paul said, I'm going to tell you the whole counsel. Well, well, if we talk about the whole counsel of God, then we appreciate that Jesus gives us victory over eternal death. Now, now we've seen that the next order of business after physical death is the judgment. That's what the Hebrew writer told us back in Hebrews 9, 27. Now, what we need to appreciate is that to that appointment, there are no exceptions. In, in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 10, the Bible says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. See, that's why we need to know the whole story. See, see, I need to know I got some business after I leave this life with Christ Jesus, whether or not I wanted to acknowledge him in this life in the first place. Paul said, everybody's going to show up at the judgment and everybody's going to be judged by God. Now, now, if I gotta show up at the judgment, you know what I'm glad of? I'm sure enough glad that God is doing the judging. Because you know, if you or I were doing the judging, we'd get it wrong. It, we'd let some friends and family members in who hadn't met the standards that God has set, and we'd probably keep some folk out that God, as a matter of grace, would let in. I, I'm glad God alone is doing the judging but appreciate there are only two possibilities uh, at the judgment. Now, now you got to be there. We, we know from uh, 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 2 Corinthians 5.10 that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Well, in uh, John 5, verse number 28, Jesus says, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. Now, you go and leave here. You might go to the grave before Jesus comes back. You might be here when Jesus comes back, but you are going to leave this flesh and blood. Then in verse 29, he says, and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. By God's grace, we are able to receive the gift of eternal life rather than eternal condemnation. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. None of this would be possible if it wasn't for him. There's nothing we can do on our own. We can't be so good or so holy as to earn salvation, as to earn pardon for the sins that I have committed and again, I know some of us, you know, every sin we've committed is because somebody provoked me, because somebody did something to me, it was because it happened before I obeyed the gospel. Well, be that as it may, without Jesus, all of us would be lost. 
Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. We all equally need the blood of Christ Jesus. And if we want to have part in the resurrection from being spiritually dead in sin, and if we want the life that is in Christ Jesus, then God offers that to us if we will submit ourselves to the gospel of Christ Jesus. Now, that's not just only fair, that's grace. Because see, God doesn't owe us anything. We messed up of our own accord by our own choice. God says, but be that as it may, like, like Paul said, because he's so great in mercy, even though you messed up, you messed up and you messed up, you don't just do things wrong, you, you, you got some problems. You, you got some issues that, that can only be solved in Christ Jesus. Well, God says, first of all, you need to hear the gospel message. Romans 10, 17, the Bible declares that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You need to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. As Jesus has said, he is the resurrection uh, and the life. In John 8, verse 24, Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. We need to be willing to repent of sin. In Acts 17, 30 and 31, the Bible declares that there was a time that God winked at ignorance, but now he commands that all men everywhere repent because the day is coming in which he will judge the world in righteousness by Christ Jesus. We need to make the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Matthew 10, verse 32. And then we need to be baptized in water for the remission of sin. In 1 Peter 3, verse 21, Peter declares, the like figure whereunto baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. In a nutshell, Peter is saying that baptism is important because it's God's say-so. God sends the gospel message through Christ Jesus and then declares, this is what I want you to do. Now, if God had said something else, something else would be important. But God said, be baptized in the name of Christ Jesus for the remission of sins. And so baptism becomes, becomes important because it is God's say-so. And when we go down in the waters of baptism, God washes away our sins by the blood of Christ Jesus and dwells us with his spirit and he adds us to the church and thereafter requires that we live obediently in his service. In Ephesians 4 verse 1, the apostle declares that we ought to walk worthy of the vocation with which we have been called. If you're here this morning, if you're listening to this, as Brother Wharton said, somewhere around the world on Zoom or Facebook or however else it may be broadcast, uh, then we bid you to reach out to our elders at elders at laurelchurch.net. Make your request known. If you're here in our audience, then we bid you to come as we stand and as we sing the song of invitation. Yeah. 